12 about how uh, the Christmas stories, the great beginning of the end of Satan's rule and reign, and how God is, Satan is no longer the accuser of brethren. We talked about how Jesus unites us, how the Christmas story is one of fellowship and the humility of Jesus we see brings down division. We talked about the fact that Jesus uh, brings them from our gloom and uh, I'm just so thrilled and I hope you've been finding different reasons to be happy and to celebrate the Christmas season. I just have one question for you. I'm going to take a little bit of a different turn today and I'm just going to ask the question, how many of you might feel like this guy right now? You a little bit? Okay, not many of you. All right, well, that's good. So then my second question is, uh, you want to hit the slide for me there? Are you ready for Christmas? How many of you feel like, okay, it's Christmas, and you're ready for it, right? Hands up? Yeah, okay. Born ready. Born ready. <laughs> of course you would be, Daryl. That makes sense. You were ready since, like, last Christmas. Uh, I want to I ask a question. Uh, is it possible that you can be too ready for Christmas. Uh, you want to hit a slide, you're going to have to be a slide person for anything. Okay, is it possible to be too prepared for Christmas? How many say yes, you can be too prepared for Christmas? All right, how many of you say no, you can never be too prepared for Christmas? All right. Well, our story today deals with something like that, but as a way to illustrate the story, uh, I'm going to share with you something about my own life that I don't really share a lot uh, from the pulpit, and that is, is uh, I have a really, really good friend, and uh, I believe every guy should have a bro, or a crew of bros, or really good friends. And so many guys, you know, there's that one guy in your entire lifetime that you would say, that guy's my really good best friend bro, hands up. Okay, a few of you, you know what I'm talking about. Well, my best friend, uh, I met him in, uh, that's, that's weird, uh, his name is Aaron Norman, right? And he's the taller one with the white shirt on, and we met in uh, grade 9 in youth group. And for the life of me, I cannot tell you how we became friends, we just became best buds. And we were best buds through high school, and we were amazing friends, and it was awesome. We graduated together, that's him and me at our graduation, he kind of looks like the Grim Reaper. <laughs> we were just amazing, we did everything together, except go to Bible college together, he stayed in Vancouver, I came up here, it was amazing, it was great. Well, you know, as time goes on, guys get interested in girls, and I found Elizabeth, and I met and married Elizabeth, and that was great, and that was amazing. And my best friend, well, he met a girl named Christina. And everyone say, aw. And Christina was amazing. I fell in love with Liz. He fell in love with a girl named Christina. And they became, instead of us becoming just bros, we became a crew. Where we loved and hung out with us, the four of us hanging out together. It was awesome. And it just felt like we were just... We were just doing life together, and uh, we had our little group, and, you know, we were the kind of group, you know, Thanksgiving, and New Year's, and Christmas, and holidays, and all that kind of thing was just so awesome. 
Uh, we were tight. In fact, I'm going to show you Sherry a story about how tight that we were as like a as a, with with these two people. We were so tight with them that when we moved from Vancouver to Winnipeg a year later, he turned down a ten thousand dollar a year raise and a and a offer on a down payment on a Vancouver home just to come up to Winnipeg and serve with me in the church with no guarantee of a job. He actually wound up, he and uh, his, his wife wound up living in our kitchen for a full year. It tested the bounds of our friendship. But let me just say that we were that close, that we were just uh, friends. We would love hanging out with each other. We did everything together and life was just amazing. And I loved hanging out with these two. There would be nothing more that I would want to do than organize activities or any sort of grouping just to be with them. And that actually included my wedding. And so when we got together with her, when we, when we, when we did our wedding, Liz, Liz and I got married first and, you know, we did all the stuff, we planned everything, and my one goal at the wedding was this, is I didn't care so much about all the details or the food or all that kind of stuff or the venue or the decor. I just wanted a place to hang out with my friends. That was the key thing, is I wanted to take all the people that I know and I want to hang out with them and I want to celebrate together my, my vows with Liz. That's what I did. But here's the problem, is like I'm not very much of a planner. How many of you know that? You know that I'm not a planner. Okay. So here's the thing. If you're not very much of a planner, then by default, you have to work twice as hard at being the planner. Because you're not thinking of everything. You're not thinking about who you're not supposed to sit with and who uh, the, uh, the seating arrangements. You're not thinking about all the stuff about who sits here or what happens here or the guest invitations and all that. So I became, I, I, even though I wanted to be a place where I hung out, solely with my friends. It became a thing about making sure and prepping for the event itself. Well, the day came, and I was so excited to be with my friends. I wanted to be friends with my close friends, I wanted to be my best friend, and his wife, I wanted to be together with the crew. But, can I tell you something? I forgot something. I forgot something very, very important. The day comes up, uh, I, I get, I'm getting ready, I'm putting on the tux, and Aaron, my best friend, pulls into the driveway with a car, and he's driving us to the wedding, and I'm all excited, like I'm getting married, that's the only thing I'm thinking about, right? I pull into the car, and uh, listen, and uh, I go, bro, where's Christina? And at this point, we, we have been, they've been, we've been dating, he'd been dating her for probably about a year, we, been, we gelled, and Point. He said, bro, you forgot to invite her. I forgot to invite one of my best friends to the wedding. And I actually, I was so, uh, I, want, I want to tell you that nothing feels worth than spending all that time and energy on something so important only to realize that there was one person that you forgot to invite, and that person was actually the person that you wanted to hang out with. I was really, really important to hang out with, with you. Christmas can be like that sometimes. 
We love Jesus, we enjoy Jesus, and we want to spend uh, the Christmas festivities with Jesus. And we spend all this time planning Christmas, only to forget one more thing. And that actually is the, uh, so that's actually what happens in our story today. Let me read you the story uh, from Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 40. This is Jesus. This is later in his ministry. Jesus' birth has already happened. He's an adult. It's coming close to the cross. And Jesus has three friends that he loves hanging out with, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And so our story actually picks up today in verse 38, chapter 10, and it says this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up and said to her, Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, as we read this passage today, I am so thankful for your word. And I pray that as we read it, you would uh, show us something that would bless us this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so here's the deal, here's a recap. Jesus, he's doing his ministry. He's serving people, he's loving people, he's praying for people, he's telling them how much God loves them, and he meets these amazing family. And in that family are three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And over time, Jesus develops a friendship with them. He gets close with them. Jesus loves this family. And so Martha says, you know what? I want to, Jesus has done so much. He's been such a great help. I'm going to actually get ready and actually invite him over to my house. And we're going to have a meal together. And we're going to have a great time. So she invites Jesus. And she gets ready. How many of you are the people that love to get ready for parties? Yeah, there's a few of you. Martha and Mary were two most excellent sisters. Uh, they were both converted, they were both lovers of Jesus, and they were both loved by Jesus. For we are expressly told that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus when uh, Lazarus had passed away. So when Jesus comes as her guest, there is a sense of joy. In her heart, that's here. And I think that's hard for us to understand, but it's quite likely that she was very happy that Jesus was here. It's quite likely that it wasn't just Jesus himself that was at this event, but it was a whole host of people with Jesus. It would have been his disciples, it would have been other people. So put yourself in Martha's place for a moment. And understand how distracted you would be if a hundred people came to your home over Christmas. And add to this the high cultural value of Near Eastern hospitality with its keen fear of dishonoring guests, especially important ones. Then remember it's Jesus who's at your home. He's the Messiah, the most important person in your nation's history. 
and in fact, of human history. If Jesus were to come over to my home, I would want to make sure that everything was perfect. The carpets were cleaned, the house was taken care of, the floors were washed, the nicest food was out. I would want to present my best to Jesus. The best food. I would be cooking for hours on end. But here's what I want you to catch is that Martha isn't the strange wild person in the story. Mary is. Because Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. What's remarkable is that Mary wasn't distracted. It was Martha who was distracted. She ignored the insistent to-do list so she could listen to Jesus. And this irritated Martha. She was working crazy like Mary. Mary, she just sat there. I don't bug you. When you're getting ready for any sort of like big family dinner, maybe it's Easter, maybe it's Thanksgiving, right? And you're in the kitchen and you're getting everything ready, and maybe it's your husband who's just watching the game, right? This is a similar situation, except it's not your husband, it's your sister. Exasperated, she finally appealed to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve me alone? Here I am, I'm throwing this big party for you. I'm doing all the dishes. I'm pulling out the fine china. I'm doing everything for you, Jesus. My sister's not doing anything alone. Tell her to help me. Jesus reproved her. It says this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away from her. To just about everyone present, Martha's serving probably appeared to flow from a gracious servant heart. But Jesus served differently. He saw that Martha was serving out of busyness, not grace. Now I just want you, I, I want to be careful here, and I want to say that it's not wrong to be busy or to have activity in our lives. Martha's issue wasn't getting the house ready, it was prioritizing the activity over the guest. Martha spent so much time preparing for Jesus that she forgot to sit with Jesus. Jesus' gentle rebuke to Martha was an act of love to her and to us. We can act like Martha sometimes. And Jesus seeks to free us from the slavery by binding us to stop working, to rest at his feet, and to listen to him. Don't miss the moment to be present with Jesus when Jesus is at the house. Martha, Martha's issue wasn't that she was busy, it was that she was so busy in the moment that she had no room to sit with Jesus. She had made the same mistake that I had made with my friends. Is I got so prepared, so caught up in the activity that I actually forgot who and what was important, my wife and my friends. Martha did something similar, except she did it with Jesus. Is it a sin to be busy? No. Is it evil to want to have the best prepared? No. 
But that just like that, Martha forgot the, the important thing about being Jesus. And the main observation I would like to take away from this is, even though this isn't a Christmas story, I want you to catch the observation that Martha spent so much time preparing for Jesus, she never sat with Jesus. And I want to surrender to you that the application applies during Christmas time as well. Sometimes we prepare so much for Christmas that we get to sit, forget to sit with Christ. Okay? We get all the trimmings done, we get all the food ready, we invite everyone over, we clean the house, we get the presents, we make sure the food is ready. We go to all the Christmas activities, we go to the PCA play, we have the Christmas dinner, we do all that kind of activity because we are getting ready for the Christmas season. And somewhere in it, we get to forget to sit and be close with Jesus. That's how this connects with Christmas. Sometimes we can prepare for Christmas so much so that we forget to sit with and be close with Christ this Christmas season. It can happen to the best of us, and most of the time I believe it's not intentional. Why do you think it's easier to spend more energy preparing for a party for Jesus than actually being with Jesus over Christmas season? I want to give you a few reasons and then we'll close today and maybe a, a way to deal with it. Number one, I, I think it's a logistical issue. Christmas needs to happen. Food needs to be cooked. Farm, the uh, house needs to be taken care of. There are chores on the farm. Ken has baby dogs. The whole nine yards, you've got to take care of it. So right away, it just becomes an issue of, well, i I, I got to get done. And in the midst of that, we can forget, actually, to spend time with Jesus over Christmas. Number two, it could be that we're afraid of what's inside our hearts. Being still during Christmas is hard because doing nothing productive leaves us feeling vulnerable. We feel, we might feel a sense of emotional exposure over our weaknesses. And overworking hides those feelings of worthlessness, not just from us, but from others. That I'm never good enough, that I'm never safe enough. And I don't know about you, but I really struggle with this. When I first started serving in church, I served in the kids' ministry, and kids scared me. So you know what I would do, is I would go hide in the kitchen. And I would do the work in the kitchen. Simply because I knew that if I could do the work in the kitchen and wash the dishes, I didn't have to be around what scared me the most. I think sometimes just being still scares us in front of Christ. Number three, I think that we're conditioned to hurt. There are instances where the situation calls for us to hurry. But I want you to remind, remind yourselves that there are other instances where the situation in Jesus' ministry calls for Jesus to act urgently and he does the exact opposite. I think being a disciple of Jesus is, requires us to match our pace of life with Jesus. Which in context, I believe, means that we need to slow down and make sure that we spend time with Jesus this Christmas. 
A couple of examples of this come from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43, where Jairus' daughter is sick, and Jesus is asked to come urgently. If you read the story, it says that he takes his time. Or John 11, when Lazarus is sick, they make a plea, Jesus come quickly, Lazarus is sick, and Jesus intentionally waits. I want to make the observation that hurry is the greatest enemy to your spiritual life. It's my opinion that being too busy with all the activities of life, your job, your relationships, extracurricular activities, is the new form of being spiritually lazy when it comes to taking care of our souls. We're just so busy that we don't have time for Jesus anymore. We get up in the morning or we don't get up early enough to spend time in our devotions because we're just so exhausted. And then we get home from the evening, we're just too exhausted to read the Word. So we wind up scrolling on our, our, our phones for like an hour and a half before we fall asleep. Thus repeating the cycle again and again and again. Busyness is the great enemy to our spiritual life. And I would argue that it's the biggest enemy to Christmas. All the activity is good, but we must not forget to sit with Christ. Long ago, maybe five years ago, a study found out that was taking over 20,000 Christians in North America. There's no small sample size. And I identified busyness as the major distraction to people's life with God. He said this, in the, in the survey it said this, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which number two, leads to God becoming marginalized in Christians' lives, which three, leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to number five, conformity to a culture of busyness and overload. And it's happened without us realizing it, and it happens during Christmas time. And so, as we get ready for Christmas, my encouragement with you it would be that you would not be so busy preparing for Christmas that you forget to sit with Christ this Christmas. Well, what would that look like? Well, in our, in our home, I just a few suggestions. I, I think maybe instead of waiting for the kids to get you up to answer the, to wrap the Christmas presents, why don't you get up a little bit earlier, maybe five or ten minutes earlier, and just take time to pray. Thank God for the Christmas season. Or you could be like us and we try to read Luke 2 when we, before we open our presents during Christmas time. Just a way to remind ourselves what the Christmas season is about. Or number three, I don't know what you do after the presents are opened. Uh, usually what we do is we have a big breakfast and then we play with all our Christmas toys. What if you just took that time to sing a couple songs? Favorite Christmas carols. Just doing something where you sit in the presence of Jesus this Christmas season. 
How do you know if you've been spending so much time uh, preparing for Christmas that you maybe not be sitting with Christ? Let me, let me give you one exercise and then I'll close today. And it's a two-step process. Number one is, this is, this is about as, as, as uh, practical as I'm going to get today. Number one, when you go home today, I want you to take out a pen and paper, find a, a quiet spot, you know, and just a time for you and God. And just kind of ask this question, and, and ask for God's perspective, and just ask this question, is how close, God, are we as close as we can be? Are, do you want me to be closer to you? Like, how, how are we doing it? And just kind of gauge it on a scale from one to ten, right? How, how close do I feel to God this week? And then, once you do that, just kind of go, okay, well, I'm a seven, but I want to get closer, or I feel like I'm pretty far away from God, and God, I want to get closer. Here's what I would do, just make a change. Make some room for, for Jesus this Christmas. And the best way that I know how to do that is take another piece of paper and just answer this question. What is important during Christmas? And you just list the top five things that are important to you during Christmas. Family, friends, God, you know, whatever. Right? What, what are the things that you are important to you? And then here's what I would do is I just make another list of the top five things that you actually are going to spend your Christmas on. Cleaning up all the wrapping paper, carving the turkey, whatever it is. Just what are you actually going to spend your time on? You know what you've just done there is you've just discerned what you want to be important during Christmas time versus what actually is important during Christmas time. If those lists don't match, all you got to do is just make a change. Find a place where you can sit down with Jesus over Christmas. Maybe you let the house be messy with all the wrapping paper for a few hours. I'm not really sure, but my encouragement to you is to make sure that you are spending time with Jesus and prioritizing and sitting at the feet of Jesus this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's leave us with a, a closing song.